Hello and welcome to Criterion Close Up. I'm Mark Herney and I'm here with Aaron West on episode 42. How are you doing, Aaron? I'm great. How are you doing, Mark? Doing great. Doing great. We This is a Criterion Close Up episode, as we call them, because we have a special guest with us today, Ben Modell. Mm-hmm. Welcome, Hi. Ben. Ben, Hi, hello. thanks for having me on. Thanks uh, for having me on. Silent Sorry. film enthusiast, uh, accompanist, uh, or is that a word? <laughs> it's a it's a accompanist, but nobody can pronounce it. Usually, people when, when when people mime playing the piano when they try to explain it to people. So you're doing great. I, I tried to throw an e in there. I, I don't think that yeah. worked too well, but uh, yeah, it's all right. It's a tough word. Also, a <laughs> yeah. silent film historian too, right, yes. Ben? Yes. Uh, and also a uh, uh, I guess distributor or home, yeah. home media distributor yeah. and uh, yeah yes. you wear a lot of hats now <laughs> yes i do <laughs> nice well it's great to have you on we'll be getting into uh talking about you quite a bit and all of your your interests so more to come on that but you know first time guest ben we always like to start with the criterion connection uh, folks that listen to the show would know that so we're curious how did you become aware of the criterion collection how did you you know maybe your first uh film that you uh watched in the collection i'm i guess i i i actually don't know um <laughs> i i don't collect dvds i don't buy dvds and blu-rays um, but I'm sure that over the course of the last several years uh, in needing to screen a film, uh, most mm-hmm. probably the, the Ozu films, I think, I've needed to screen something ahead of time before a show, and that's something where I know, oh, Criterion's put that out. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's probably the first you know main interaction I, I, I've had, but I've been aware of nice. being a huge fan of Jacques Tati. I know the, the box set of Tati films and uh, uh, Pierre Tex, or... Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which uh, which Ozu uh, film was it? Um, Tokyo to Chorus. I played for okay. a show oh, uh, earlier this year out at the Cinema Arts Center out in Long Island, and that was the way I previewed the film. Yeah, a lot of Ozu. Uh, the early works. The early he he stayed silent uh, long after a lot of his uh, uh, his peers. But uh, I think a lot of his works uh, don't get uh, like his. The early Floating Weeds is a, a beautiful movie. If you've seen it. Yeah, most people, you say Japanese silent film, they don't believe you, even that. And once you show them something uh, that isn't, you know, uh, um, I'm blanking on the name, but the the, the experimental film that takes place in a, in a, a sanitarium. I'm, I can't believe I can't think of the name of it, but... Machine um, and or... No, that's 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 Bunuel. Bunuel, yeah. Uh, the Japanese. I can't believe I can't think of it. It's a it's a really great film, and I played <laughs> for it a few times. But um, uh, yeah, you know, and then you show them an Ozu film, and they can't believe how fantastic it is. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That that's one that's uh, I was just double checking. It is on Hulu Plus, and it's also in the the Silent Ozu, the three family comedy series. That's uh, exactly a, a clip set from a Criterion. So very mm-hmm. cool. Is yeah. it the Japanese butterfly, or maybe a page of madness? Page of madness. Page of madness. Okay, nice there you go. Yeah, Kinugasa. Yeah, Thank yeah. You. It's a great Thank film. You, very bizarre, and and uh, <laughs> usually that's if people maybe have known anything about, a, they've seen a Japanese silent film. Maybe it's that because it's a it's something that gets shown in film school and and, and stuff like that. But um, even the first time I saw an Ozu silent, while I was playing for it, I was very surprised and pleasantly so. Mm, yeah, yeah, very uh, somber, some somewhat, but uh, very, very heartfelt. Yeah, I, I, that yeah. would be an interesting one to score. Um, well, you also were, uh, you've been on Criterion. <laughs> you uh, did a, a tremendous feature on undercranking, which we'll talk about. But um, do you want to talk about that, how that worked out? Um, y- yeah, um, I gave a presentation on this in 2010 at uh, a chaplain conference in Zanesville, Ohio. And it was called Charlie in the Heartland. And this is some, this is a theory I've been developing for a couple of years at that point. And here I was now in front of a, a group of scholars and people mm-hmm. from around the world. And David Robinson is in the audience and David Shepard and uh, people who I, I know from around the U.S. and archivists and stuff like that. And I gave the presentation hoping I... Uh, was not completely out in left field, but I felt very certain about my theories, and it went over really well. And I remember when I was done, a whole bunch of people gathered around me at the front. My friend 
uh, Bruce Lawton, Rob Arcus, and Steve Massa, and Human Marin, and a bunch of people I know from New York, and mm-hmm. and David Shepard and David Robinson, and and uh, we were talking about this, and then I, you know, I don't remember the exact words, but I remember saying, "So, I'm not crazy, right?" And and the consensus was, "How did we not notice this all these years? <laughs> mm-hmm. How did we miss this?" I, I felt the same way watching the supplement, Ben, yep. when you, you know, yeah, yeah. and and, and I, so, I found myself thinking back, well to other films where I'm like, wait, that's how they did that too. Uh, yes, yeah. yes. And it just sort of, it became this in, uh, this uh, this door open into what is sort of like sleight of hand mm-hmm. uh, with silent movies. And so um, that's it's probably the first connection I may have had with Greg Hewen because Abby Lustgarden right. uh, was at this conference. And so there had been talks on and off over the years about doing this as an extra um, but and then over the next number of years I presented this talk the same talk again um, I think it was at Mostly Lost the annual film identification workshop we have at the Library of Congress mm. which went over really well uh, a few people I think Joe Ransky and Rick Sheckman saw me do it there and said oh why don't you do this at Cinefest okay I did it in Cine- uh, Cinefest up in Syracuse mm-hmm. and I did it there and it went over really well and Leonard Malton came over and said some nice things about it and Dave Kerr who had just been hired by MoMA came up to me and said oh have you ever done this at the museum I said no so that fall I did it at MoMA mm. and I th- and Abby came to the presentation then and each time I'd added new things and uh, found new clips and stuff like that and uh so that's that's sort of the genesis of how it became an, uh, the extra on on the kid is that we were looking mm-hmm. for a disc where there was room for it and it would be a good fit, and oh, great uh, fit. It was yeah. So it, it was a kind of a. It sounds like it was a, a long term kind of project uh, working with them. Just you know, like you said, trying mm-hmm. to find a disc that would work and so yeah, makes sense. Yeah, it was a matter, uh, you know, on, on Criterion's part of the timing and everything being right. And then right. in the meantime, I continued finding things. I would, you know, mm-hmm. I have a YouTube channel with a whole bunch of these studies where I I still haven't finished it. But at one point I got through Buster Keaton's The Goat two or three minutes at a time and uh, up to maybe two thirds of the way through the film, just shot by shot, showing how he had done each stunt by breaking it down, slowing it down to cranking speed and even below cranking speed, zooming in on certain bits of action. And it, it's really, the more I get into this, the more fascinated mm-hmm. I am with it. Because it's like thinking your whole life that magic is real <laughs> and then discovering, oh, it's, there is this sleight of hand. You found the, the card and, up their sleeve. <laughs> right, exactly. And and uh, a friend of mine, uh, Ben Robinson, who's a, a magician, a long-time a, a magician, uh, he and I have talked about this, and actually one of the bits in the in the talk that's not on the on the Criterion Extra, but I use, um, he demonstrates uh, a very simple bit of sleight of hand, and you know we pick the one that it's okay to show how you do it, and he performs it um, at the performance speed, and then he does it again slowly so you can see how it's executed, and then again at performance speed, just as an analogy, but it's it's uh, it's um it's just fascinating to me uh, that this thing was so matter of fact and it was mm-hmm. done by everybody throughout the silent film era and nobody ever talked about it yeah i i Just wrote to kevin nugget yeah, yeah. I, I i wrote to kevin brownlow and because i figured well he interviewed everybody sure. for when the uh, the parade's gone by and i he said no nobody really talked about this mm-hmm. so it's it's uh, it's just fascinating for people that don't that haven't watched it, first off, I would go out and get the kid and watch this uh, feature. Oh, yeah. It's uh, called A Study in Undercranking, uh, which uh, Ben, uh, I guess, uh, it's sort of an interview with a lot of clips. And uh, I guess the, well, the thesis is that uh, the uh, f- certain stunts or gags were shot at 14 frames per, per second. And then when exhibited, they were sped up to 21. So you can... My, one of my favorite parts was uh, the modern times uh, gear. Uh, oh yeah, and you know you watch that today, and you, and you know we're we're in a world of CGI and all sorts of studio tricks, but that's still impressive today. But when you slowed it down and saw, uh, of course, I missed it when I well, first several You're times. You're supposed to, yeah, right. <laughs> or and the the speedy uh, or not speedy the um, the freshman the mm. the little dance. Oh, the jig, yeah, the jig, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And it made me think yeah. of uh, uh, the, the rink, uh, you know, or, or the, uh, the the skating rink sequence in uh, modern times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that probably had uh, the same feature, don't you think? I think, you know, it was in every film, and it was just that the comedians and action stars like Doug Fairbanks and Tom Mix and William S. Hart and the people who made serials just took advantage of it. Everything was shown at a faster speed than films were shot at. Sure. And, uh, but, but because it, once you understood how it works, that you could, you could create gags and stunts that you couldn't actually execute in real life. And, and so people, at least the, the comedies and, uh, comedians and action stars will use it to their advantage. People in dramas had to still adjust their movements mm-hmm. to compensate. Mm-hmm. But it, it's really, it's the difference between taking film and running it 30 to 50 percent faster and it just looks like it's running too fast mm-hmm. and silent film which is run 30 to 50 percent faster than it was shot at but it looks fine and, mm-hmm. and all the movements read and this is the it's not i wouldn't call it a, a mistake that anybody making a silent film today makes it's just that we like i said we never knew that this was going on right, right. Um, yeah it's, it's fascinating yeah. so yeah yeah um, you talk about and, the magic of cinema it's right there exactly and I, I guess cool. you, you men- mentioned uh, the big three comedy, uh, you know, the Titans, Keaton, Lloyd, and, of course, Chaplin. Uh, and I'm sure you talk about them probably more than uh, probably 90 percent of, of your, your discussions are about those three. But uh, so this was common even with the lesser comedy uh, stars? Everybody did it. Everybody. Everybody did it. It was just something that became um, – and you can see with Chaplin, if you – take the time to watch all of the Keystone shorts in order. There's a point about a third of the way or half of the way into that first year where uh, he kind of, you, you can see he kind of gets it and is adjusting his movements the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas uh, the the earlier films, it's he's right off the stage and he's just moving the way he did in the theater. Everybody, everybody knew about this. Everybody did it. And it's, uh, whether it's Arbuckle at, at, at mm-hmm. Keystone or Mabel Normand or Al St. John or people you never heard of like 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 Monty Banks or Bobby Ray or Gail Henry it was just known mm. um, so um, it was a practice it was a practice and this is this is what everybody lost when sound come in, came in it wasn't just a matter of oh we have to add sound and dialogue but it was a whole style of comedy that and a whole level of gags who used to be able to do that went out the window and I think this is what happened uh, Doug Fairbanks. Um, you couldn't make a Doug, Fa- Doug Fairbanks picture uh, anymore because so much of the, the physicality and the stunts are rooted in the fact that we're cranking at 16 or 18. Or you, you could crank mm-hmm. at a variety of speeds and it would even out. Um, and it took everyone a while to figure out how to do an action picture in a swashbuckler again. Hmm. And you sure. mentioned in the in the feature that uh, that Chaplin em- employed it on some later works too, uh, and and you mentioned being sparingly, a Tati, yeah. yeah, sparingly. You mentioned being a Tati fan, uh, yeah. And of course, he is, you know, his his uh, inspirations were these silent film titans. So, do, do you know of any modern filmmakers? Did Tati use it? Did Ate use it that you know of? Yeah, or? there's a, a there's a film uh, Ate film called Happy Anniversary. Yeah, which I remember seeing in film school and loved it and got a print of it on eBay 10, 15 years ago. And there are shots in Happy Anniversary that are undercranked. And because they're mixed with shots shot at 24, mm-hmm. but are post-dubbed, you really can't tell. Um, I'm sure Tati... I haven't really examined Tati's films, but I, I remember at one point watching some of... I think it's Traffic. There's a big wide shot and there are people stepping over... Uh, wires that have been laid out where cars are supposed to go Mm. and they kind of look like chickens walking around and I took a close look at it and I think that's slightly undercranked not not that much but maybe Mm -hmm. 20 or 21 Um, I'm sure I mean that this practice was used in car chases in the 60s and 70s and 80s and if I ever get a chance if I ever get a chance to meet Jackie Chan I would love to ask him (laughs) How how much do you guys use undercrank in all these fights? Because mm-hmm. because you're a po- they're post dubbing all the sound effects oh, anyway, yeah. and so when Chaplin uses it in Great Dictator and Limelight uh, and and other films that have are talking pictures, and you, you can crank it twenty or twenty one and post up the sound effects and mix it in, and you can't really tell. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I it's 
I, I really wonder how many of them were, were, were using it uh, hmm. in, in a sort of sly way that you can't really detect it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's uh, you know, like Aaron was talking about, when you see it in uh, The Dic- Great Dictator or Monsieur mm-hmm. Verdoux, you, you don't really notice it right. as much. Um, you know, but he, he uses it at a, at a good time. And I, I was thinking about, you know, if you were going to do it today with digital, uh, you know, quote-unquote video film, mm. yeah. uh, I guess you just speed up the file. But I, I don't know. I just don't think it would have the same effect. Well, there's, there's an uh, – I haven't found a camera. I think there is a camera, like a red uh, digital camera that does this but there's a great mm-hmm. um filmmaking app called filmic pro which allows you to shoot at variable speed and so that uh your your output is still 24 frame video but you can dial it down so it's taking actually taking 16 frames per second or 18 and it isn't dropping frames to simulate it but it is actually capturing 16 images per second in the same way that uh I mean, the the app uh, adjusts the way that an iPhone or, or Android phone uh, the shutter is operating. So you have the same blur. If you know anything about photography, you know if you're shooting at 16 frames per second, then the shutter is going at at 30 at 30 second of a second. And so it really looks smooth. And I've shot over the last number of months um, tests uh, and experiments with folks in the uh, there. There are a lot of this sounds funny, but there are a lot of clowns here in New York City. Uh, clowns are variety performers, and there's a weekly sure. physical comedy lab that I participate in. And we've shot stuff where we would watch it back over and over and adjust the movements. Uh, shooting with Filmic, the Filmic Pro, cranking at 12 or 16 or 18. And when it's working right, it really looks like a silent movie and not just Benny Hill, where they're just running around like crazy. Yeah, I think I've seen uh, some clowns in Washington Square that... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it's fascinating. So, and by the way, uh, the YouTube channel that uh, you mentioned is Silent Film Music. Is that it? And we'll, we'll put it in the yes. show notes. Yeah, so people can find it. But uh, yeah, I just pulled it up and I see the goat. Uh, I see a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, the the fish slapping dance for the Monty Python is is shot at sixteen or eighteen frames, and that's why it's funny. And that's why if you see it in Spamalot, it's it's it, on Broadway. It's a uh, it's a dance, but. The, the actual gag with John Cleese and Michael Palin, it's, it, it's, you can really see when, when he hits the water, but it's undercranked. And most of the stuff, most of the MOS stuff they shot in 16 millimeter on Monty Python mm-hmm. is shot at 16 or 18 frames per second on 16 millimeter, I think. Yeah, I, I think they were big fans of uh, the Silent Masters. And, and of course, Tati was uh, friends with them. I think they all admired him. Uh, uh, it was a mutual admiration. Yeah, as were I think the guys who did the that showed the goodies. Well, I haven't seen England. that one. Yeah. Well, uh, wow, <laughs> we can really uh, go get on undercranking. It's fascinating. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I I guess I wanted to get hurt here a little bit more about your background and really how you got started with this too, Ben. Um, you know, your interest in silent film. Uh, I I think I had heard that your your fa- or one of your first. Uh, films that you had seen it's actually in the criterion collection uh, modern times if i remember that correctly it's one of your favorites and kind of got you interested in film so just curious you know some more um on you you know what what uh, i heard you've gone to film school what kind of turned you into a uh, silent film musician and so uh, interested in silent film well i was interested in, i was crazy about silent movies from the time i was two or three according to my folks because they used to show silent movies on tv before cable mm-hmm. um, on public television they were they were on even before I was born in the 1950s and 60s um, they, they were on as uh, kids programming or filler or there were TV shows uh, Who's the Funny Mans and uh, Comedy Capers and Mischief Makers and stuff like that so it was not hard to find silent silent movies I'm told I discovered Charlie Chaplin when I was a little kid and then they be you know i would watch these things on on uh, i guess public television mm-hmm. channel 13 here in new york um so th- my interest in filmmaking and silent movies sort of ran concurrently also with my interest in music i was taking piano lessons since i was 5 and was in the school band and all that stuff um and uh, but I have a very vivid memory of seeing Modern Times in in that that year that was re released. I think seventy two. Mm, yeah, uh, seeing it 
having seen Charlie Chaplin on TV or in 16mm prints at somebody's house or whatever, and then going into a real movie theater, uh, the Larchmont Playhouse, and seeing this movie in this bright, clear image, mm-hmm. and and seeing Chaplin with that with the sound effects when the the feeding machine goes wrong and oh yeah when the factory boss is yelling at him you know, hey get back to work and it's it, it just uh, made such a huge impression on me um yeah i i've not never seen a chaplain in the theaters but i just think that would be just phenomenal mm-hmm. the, the the riveting scene uh oh yeah uh, yeah mm-hmm. so um su- such great stuff also yeah. works uh, undercranked. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, yes, and actually, if you take take that and slow it down, you realize that he's missing some of the bolts, but right. it doesn't really matter. You just right. when you when it's running at twenty four, um, you you just see him flicking the spanners, and that's all that, that's important. But anyway, so I I began collecting films in eight millimeter. You're buying them from Blackhawk Films. Again, this is before home video and cable. Mm-hmm. The only way to see stuff was to buy it. With your paper route money, if you're a kid, <laughs> um, when I wasn't buying, you know, uh, Super 8 film to make movies with my friends, um, and I, I, li- like I said, I, m- I lived in Larchmont out in Westchester County, in, in, in the suburban New York. And when I was 12, I got a copy of uh, The Silent Clowns by Walter Kerr, which had just been published. My folks remembered that he lived in our town and heard somewhere that he had a collection of 16-millimeter films. Mm. I wrote him a letter, and four days later, he called me. And for the next, really, about the next 15 years, uh, three, four, five times a year, I'd go to his house, and he'd say, well, what do you want to see? Nice. (laughs) And so I got to film school. I was a film production major at NYU, Having seen all of Chaplin's films, mm-hmm. Keaton's films, and also well, all the the Raymond Griffith films that you could you could see, because uh, Mr. Kerr was a huge fan of Raymond Griffith, mm. um, and the film history class that you take freshman year, the silent films were shown completely silent, and this was terrible because I was <laughs> you know I'm sitting here, a huge silent film fan watching. Douglas Fairbanks and and uh, uh, Eisenstein bomb in front of hundreds of food, film students every I week. Bet. So I I figured I don't know what I'm doing, but it's got to be better than nothing. And I went to the head of the department my sophomore year and volunteered. And loved he loved the idea, and I began playing for films initially for Bob Sklar's basic film history class, and then for Bill Everson's classes. And met mm-hmm. a guy named Lee Irwin, who was a theater organist in the 1920s. Um, who I learned film accompaniment technique from. Nice. Hey, I yeah. thought you were going to say that you started scoring Chaplin at six. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, not that early. Yeah, <laughs> that's still pretty pretty amazing. And, and you know, it, yeah. we are home media enthusiasts, but we buy DVDs, Blu-rays, uh, eight millimeter, sixteen millimeter. That's that's a different animal. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, do, very yeah. different, very expensive animal. <laughs> but do you, do you have a just like a closet full of canisters? No, I don't. I I have some stuff, and then some of the really bizarre, or unique, or rare things. Um, as part of my accidentally preserved project, after once I, once I had the films transferred, I donated the prints to the Library of Congress. So, oh, I figured they could sit in my closet or in an archival film vault. So I chose the archival film vault. Smart, nice. Uh you know, climate controlled and right. you know, we'll yeah. actually preserve it. Nitrate, yeah. yeah, no no fires accidentally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That that's yeah. stuff's pretty flammable. So Yeah. Uh, no, I think that's uh, fascinating. Uh, uh we we actually haven't talked about silent film too much on this cast, uh and and Criterion really no. you know, with the, I Criterion of course the Chaplin stuff and I don't know, Ben, if you even own the kid. Hopefully they sent it to you. Oh yeah, I have a copy, yeah. Okay, good. Nice. <laughs> I don't but, own I don't own a Blu-ray player yet, but that's the next step. The Criterion <laughs> should should have sent you that for that uh, that supplement. I'm, I'm going to call them tomorrow. Okay. Uh, but, All right. Uh, yeah, they, they did Limelight was the one before that, and I think sure. the uh, City Lights was the one before that. That was dual format, mm-hmm. and then uh, they did, uh, of course, it's gonna, Monsieur Verdoux, Gold, Gold, Gold Rush probably before yeah. that. And Gold, Gold Rush. Yeah. Uh, and the great, great all, dictator. All three versions mm-hmm. of the Gold Rush. I, bl- I believe yeah. there's three versions mm-hmm. on there because, of course, Chaplin was 
revisionist. Uh, and lately they've started doing the Lloyd. Uh, they've done three Lloyds now, Speedy yeah. and uh, Freshman and... Um, uh, Safety uh, Last. Safety Last, of course. Yeah. The, yeah. The iconic clock tower, yeah, uh, and they've some expressionism. Uh, some uh, they, they did a, a, a lonesome was one, but uh, oh yeah. Any any um, thoughts on their library, or are you familiar with um, it? Or? Yeah, um, I know that there's a von Sternberg set, right? And uh, those are very important, and those had not been available for a very long time, mm-hmm. and um, that was that was that's great because those those films are wonderful. Um, Last Command is one of my yeah. favorite. Hmm. Absolutely puts me away every time I I I, I play for it. And uh, Docks of New York, and mm-hmm. and so those those are um, those are very important films. And it's great that they're out in a quality release. And I think Sternberg's a, a, a somebody that tran- transitions so well from silent to the sound era. I think he he yeah. uh, used a lot of the same techniques. But uh, bad news that set is out of print. Out of print. Oh no! Yeah. In so. Fact, yeah. Oh really? Well, it's. I don't know if it's out of print. Out of print. It's. It's either out of stock, and you know, I think a lot of people are hoping for an upgrade. I actually just broke down and bought L- the Last Command because it came out on. Uh, I believe it was Masters of Cinema. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a, a UK, right. so you have to have a region free, blue. Po- you know, you have to have a blue pl- yeah. Blu-ray player, but have to have yeah. one that can play uh, foreign. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. So. I Right now, I know Flickr Alley does a bunch, and you don't own a Blu-ray player, but we're really, really into home media. And I think there's really been a resurgence in silent film interest because of uh, the home media market. Uh, do you, would you agree, Mark? Yeah, I, th- I think for sure. I mean, Kino's done quite a bit, and uh, just the availability of it, um, you know, just adding the... Um, like you were saying, Ben, I mean, it, before you had to either see it in a theater or someone's private collection, but now, you know, right. the advent of streaming and you know, um, home media, you can see, uh, quite a bit more. So, and, uh, I mean, and uh, related to, uh, your label too, Undercrank mm-hmm. Productions. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll so put a link in there. Yeah. Sure. And you want to talk about, uh, your, your exhib or you, or would you li- like to talk about the Kickstarter stuff first? Uh? Oh, sure. Um, and I, I never intended to become uh, a DVD label, but that's what's happened. Mm-hmm. I have currently got 10, DVDs in release, and I have four more uh, expected, at least three, if not four, out uh, to be out by the end of the year. Wow. But it started with, I had, like I said, I had, I had accumulated over the years some short comedies that were either extremely rare or a few things where I think I had the only print, and finding them on eBay, mm-hmm. um, usually stuff with lesser-known comedians like um, Wallace Lupino or or Lloyd Hamilton, where somebody had either listed it on eBay uh, incorrectly, or just nobody was interested in it, and I bid on it and won. And mm-hmm. gradually realizing that, well, I don't have that many opportunities to show these at shows, but if I have these films and nobody can see them, then they're still kind of lost. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, around nineteen. 19- 20, 2011, 2012, when Kickstarter, I had first heard about Kickstarter. And the idea of crowdfunding fascinated me mm. um, as a way around distribution because there are these, not just the stuff that I had, but there's always films that, well, there's the film and then there's the audience who wants to see it. And then sometimes uh, finding distribution is is the huge stumbling block and that's what happened with the feature film I produced and directed that came out in 1992 and got two thumbs up from Siskel and Ebert and it was just almost impossible to find a distributor even though the film did well in film festivals the audience response was great we take it from distributor to distributor whether it was Miramax or New Line and they would scratch their fingers in their head and go oh, I don't know I don't see it mm. so this whole idea of going around uh, that for things that are not going to sell 2,500 units um, intrigued me. And then uh, I think it's around this time uh, that Louis C.K. did his Beacon Theater concert mm-hmm. and released it direct to fans on his website. And it, as I recall, he, like, he made his money back over the weekend. And I thought, oh, okay, I'm mm-hmm. kind of connected. I don't have the same fan base as Louis C.K. does, but people kind of know who I am and... I have an email list and I'm on 
Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And so I did a Kickstarter for uh, a DVD called Accidentally Preserved, which is a term I made up for silent movies that only exist because 16 millimeter prints were made in 19, 1920s and 30s for the rental market. Mm-hmm. And um, the Kickstarter went really well. I uh, raised more money than I needed to and released Accidentally Preserved Volume 1 and then Volume 2. And then uh, ideas just kept popping up. I thought, oh, this works. Uh, let me try this with something else. And that's how the mishaps, the mishaps of Musty Suffer came about, which led to my having a co-branding arrangement with the Library of Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, we sourced the films from the library, and I've been one of their accompanists for the last six or seven years. So then that led to the Marcel Perez collection and a few other things. Um, so... It's just accumulated to a point where I now, 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 now I'm a label. <laughs> but <laughs> the the idea is, that it, what's what's great is that there are companies like Flickerelli and Kino Lorber and especially Criterion, mm-hmm. uh, which released uh, the major silent film stars and directors in high quality mm-hmm. packages with orchestral scoring and you know 4K scans and Blu-ray releases and all this kind of stuff and then but there are also films that deserve to be available but you you're not going to sell even 4 or 500 units but sure uh, no, not enough market for the big guys right and mm-hmm. so funding funding by fans through Kickstarter and uh publishing on demand uh you I've been using Amazon's Create Space is the other way around it mm-hmm. so that people can see and rediscover Marcel Perez, or they can see Baby Peggy's best feature film, which is one of the other discs I put out. And of course, uh, the way the way I, my first Kickstarter with you was the recent uh, Marion Davies uh, when Knighthood was flower was in flower was in, was flower. in flower yeah which uh, and I I'm boy I, I forget the director's name I <laughs> silent Robert Vignola right He's not that well known but he did a nice job yeah. on the film. Yeah, I think it, but it's more of a Marion Davies, uh, I guess, slash Hearst uh, vehicle. So, um, so yeah, I, and that was my first foray into it. And I know uh, you you are going to score uh, another one that was another Kickstarter. Uh, that was uh, the Bride's Play, was it? Yes, that uh, my friend Ed LaRusso, who's doing the same s- sort of thing that I'm doing, um, maybe not as not as large a scale, but same thing. Realizing that oh, there are enough people will pledge to a, a Kickstarter that will uh, be able to fund, uh, in his case, uh, paying for a transfer uh, that he gets from the Library of Congress, and he can pay an accompanist like, I think he's worked with, uh, I think Donald Sosin has scored one of his, and I think David Drazen, and now I'm doing the Bride's Play, mm-hmm. but in the same way, so that people can see the films. Um, I think he's done Enchanted, and um, there's a, a film called Ducks and Drakes that he's just done, and so Bride's Play is going to be his next and it's it's really not that complicated uh, uh, a business model. And if there are people who think, well, why don't why doesn't somebody put this out? Well, it is possible to do that. And I think the uh, knighthood I think did extremely well compared to its goal. And uh, is that what you're? Are, are, each time you go out, are you doing better, or are they pretty consistently good? Or it's it's kind of a yeah. It's, it's it gets a little better every time. Um, mm-hmm. The you know the first accidentally preserved. I went over the funding goal maybe a week before the th- I think the four three or four weeks was up. Then I think the Marcel Perez, which was my third, I funded in forty eight hours. Nice. Wow. Um, and the Marion Davies funded in eight hours. I I, I clicked <laughs> on go live and uh, at at twelve noon went and taught my class. At Wesleyan, and on the on the drive home, I I hit the funding goal, wow. and it's 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 a and part of that with that with the Marion Davies is that it's Marion Davies and sure. not Harry Watson Jr. because everybody's <laughs> heard of Marion Davies, and uh, so that that certainly helped. Uh, there are backers from all over the planet. I think there's somebody in Qatar who pledged. Nice. The, mm. Yeah, but um, it's a matter. I've also been fascinated with. Um, social media and fan interaction and I subscribe to a, a blog by a guy named Seth Godin who's a marketing guru and I've watched a lot of webinars um, done for like singer-songwriters and people with rock bands and how to use social media there's a guy named Dave Kusek who used to uh, teach at Berkeley 
who has something called the New Artist Model. And there's a guy named Rick Barker who used to be Taylor Swift's manager. And they both have these webinars on how to use social media and connect mm-hmm. with fans. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that has a lot to do with it. I, I, even with Accidentally Preserved, three years afterwards, I was still sending updates, letting people know, oh, this film was has been shown here or... Uh, you know that that uh, boring film about how an Elgin watches me. Well, it's now at you know eleven thousand views. People are going crazy for it. Or uh, just staying in touch with people. And so, what would happen is that with each Kickstarter, um, people just knew that I was going to finish. I was going to do a quality project, and so they were just in. So, mm-hmm. like with Marcel Perez, I launched, and within a day or so. People and nobody had heard of this guy, but people figured, well, Ben's putting this out; it, it must be worth sure. worthwhile, right? Yeah, yeah. you become a name. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're a brand. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Brought to you by <laughs> Ben. Uh, yeah, uh, um, actually, yeah. I, of course, I'm I'm in this, these social media circles, uh, many of the same ones. I, I think I follow you on on uh, Facebook and Twitter. I, actually, I, I just mm-hmm. liked you. I, I'm cheating. I li- just liked your Facebook a, a few minutes okay. ago. But, All um, right. But I remember when your uh, when Knighthood came out, uh, I, I saw it everywhere. Uh, and of course, we talked. Well, Ryan, I think, and Brian talked about it on uh, Criterion yeah, Cast on, on the, off, the, off shelf. the shelf. And uh, mm-hmm. I know uh, uh, Fritzy from Movies Silently. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with her blog. Uh, she oh yeah, she mentioned it. She's uh, great. Uh, in fact, probably right up your alley. Um, yeah. And I think some of, some of the big uh, bigger labels, uh, Kino went to the. To Kickstarter to fund their uh, African American uh, series, which actually I just got a notification. I backed that, and uh, and they are shipping that uh, right now. And actually, I, I found out that they're actually going to release it overseas as well in in the UK. So uh, that's apparently going very well. Are, are you familiar with those films or that project? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I pledged to that project, and I've I've uh, I'm a huge fan of of of, of uh, getting that that stuff like that out. I've I've done sh- a couple of shows where I've shown uh, the Flying Ace. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, those are very important films. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very much aware of the project. And we'll put links to all these too. Is there? Mm-hmm. Can people get on your mailing list and social media pretty easily oh. too? Um, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm at Silent Film Music on Twitter and on Instagram. And if you go to my website, which is silentfilmmusic.com, and go to the email link, mm-hmm. if you sign up for my email list, you'll get a an exclusive link to watch a rare silent comedy short that's not available on DVD or on YouTube. Nice. Okay. Yeah, usually yeah. we do plugs at the end of the show, but I was just curious. Couldn't couldn't help. <laughs> couldn't help it. I, I just had yeah. to know. And I'm sure yeah. hopefully our listeners feel the same way. Um, so, of course, it seems like you gravitate towards a lot of um, American silent comedy. Is that accurate? Or is that, or are you just well, equal opportunity? You like it all? I, I like it all. Uh, so I, you know, um, I'll play for anything, and uh, there's there's always stuff that I'm learning about. There's a lot of French silent film that mm-hmm. uh, I've gotten to know in the last few years uh, through it being programmed and my being hired to play for it. There's a director mm-hmm. named Julien Duvivier oh, and uh, Josh. Oh yes. Yeah, <laughs> and Josh Josh Siegel uh, at MoMA did a series of his films. Uh, some years ago at MoMA, and I was just blown away by his work. And there were it's terrific. There's a the albatross films um made in france by russian emigres uh, mm-hmm. uh, with the, uh, ivan mujukin and i a couple of years ago they played in a lot of places and i played for a bunch of those and they're just wonderful discoveries and uh mm-hmm. so i'm i don't i mean personally i i'm a fan of the the comedy shorts but mm-hmm. uh there's a lot of other other cinema that i find uh just as fascinating and and just as interesting and so like the Marion Davies project wasn't was just a matter of I was looking for something that deserved to be seen that yeah. was in the public domain and there was no donor restrictions <laughs> and um and so that's what and there was a complete print at the Library of Congress so um it's not like oh I just do slapstick comedies <laughs> well it's do you funny. kind of uh do you gravitate towards a, a certain uh type of silent film you know that uh, at this point I mean I'm looking at what you've done over the past few months and it seems to have kind of run the gamut but yeah um, i mean i mean as far as performances i i just call get called for what, whatever and like i said yeah. I, I you know i don't have you know eight scores that i have and that's mm-hmm. it but i can play for anything which is 
you know, it comes in handy with something like the, the Mostly Lost workshop, where me and Philip Carley and Andrew Simpson, we're watching films that start three minutes in and end before they're over, and nobody knows what they are. And all over the auditorium, people are calling out, oh, I think that's this, and I see a calendar on the back wall. It's uh, August. It starts on a Thursday, and we're looking stuff up. So um, I, I, I don't necessarily gravitate uh, toward uh, one particular genre, uh, uh, as, yeah, as, as far as what I get booked for, it's just, it's just, it's whatever, whatever, whatever I, get, I get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the opportunity. Mm-hmm. I mean, as, as far as, as far as that goes, I'm just curious how, you know, with that, that process, when you go into play, Ben, do you have, I mean, have you seen the film ahead of time? Do you, um, is it really, uh, improvisational or is there, you know, some kind of, um, you know, through line that you're thinking of before you play? Uh, how does that work? It's kind of all of the above, because there are some times where I'll play for a film and I haven't had a chance to see it. I don't tell the audience, but uh, <laughs> the lights go down and I I just go. Um, and uh, sometimes it's a foreign film, and if I can get them to print me out a copy of the intertitle translation, which, gets, which is being read over the, le- uh, the PA system, I can have that on the music rack so I can read the titles as they as they come up um but uh i if i can i'll watch the film once ahead of time and make story notes so i can anticipate different story elements and i can think about the the film's through line um i try to find the dramatic elements and create light motifs for them if i can Mm -hmm. um and some films are old friends you know the general and i uh, go way back and (laughs) uh, steve bill jr different way yeah Yes, exactly, and and uh, uh, Steamboat Bill Jr. Okay, and yeah. uh, the Goat and the Adventurer, and so there's some films, you know, I, I play for education screenings at the Museum of the Moving Image, where school groups come in, they tour the galleries, and can either watch an episode of Lyle of Lucy or they can watch uh, The Immigrant with Charlie Chaplin. And over the last ten or fifteen years, I play for The Immigrant tons and tons of times, mm-hmm. and so that film I know inside and out. Mm-hmm. Um, that needs so to come the idea, out on Criterion. come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think I, think I could. Someday. Uh, well, Flicker Alley put out the the, the, the mutuals, the oh. newly restored mutuals, and right. they those yeah. look great. I, I um, have that; it's actually behind me. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Those <laughs> those set. are amazing. Yeah, no, it is really a wonderful set. Um, so yeah, I, I try to prepare. It's it's the analogy I like to use. It's is it's kind of like the way jazz works in in the sense of improvisation. You're mm-hmm. never really just just making it up as you go along right, right, you have a, right. a huge vocabulary of music in your head that you're free associating and always trying to augment and, and, and make larger and challenge yourself to play in different keys and try different things and the advantage of imp- improvising is that um, it allows me to constantly improve on the score my, my intent is always the same but sometimes something will occur to me a second before it happens on a film I know pretty well, and I'll mm. try something, okay. and and I'll think, oh, that really worked. Or so afterwards, one of my friends, will, whose opinions I trust, will say, you know, when you did this, it really worked well. Um, so, do you uh, play the so, immigrant a lot differently now than you did, say, uh, a, a dozen or two times ago? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I'll play. You know, there's a, I've written an orchestral score for it that I license to schools and uh, university orchestras and professional orchestras. And there are themes in it that I will always use when I play for it. And sometimes just to see if I can come up with something else, I'll throw the whole thing out and see what else I can come up with. Um, The orchestral score I wrote for one week is something I try to stick to. But one day uh, at a show two years ago, I played the music for the third scene during the second scene. And I thought, oh, you know what? That that actually works a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Sometimes things just happen. Uh, it's kind of like a I, comedian yeah. trying out new material in a way. I, you mentioned Louis C.K. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I did stand up and I did improvisational comedy for a number of years, and it's something that really informs my playing. I bet. Uh, of course, w- with silent film, there's there's, of course, hundreds, probably thousands that uh, are probably not all available today, but uh, you know, from all over the world. Um, and I, my radar went up when you mentioned Duvivier. Uh, I'm actually a yeah. huge French fan, um, and, and we're actually going to do a series uh, in a couple months about uh, 30s French cinema. 
but mm. it's it's all rooted in uh, silent films. So we're going to talk about uh, Jacques Fader, Fader uh, mm-hmm. if you've yeah. seen him, uh, and s- yeah. some of the early Renoirs, some oh, yeah. of the Duvivier's. So I uh, so actually, uh, was, uh, have you scored many of those? I, there's probably not as much demand for those kind of. Right, exactly. There's th- as far as it shows, I've I've done probably uh, played for a couple of the the Fedos and the uh, Leon's Paré and and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, yeah, they're it's not they're they're not you know, what they, what some people call the, the Joe Franklin titles, you know, right, the films right. that are in his <laughs> book. Um, it's just based on the on the demand. So, like I said, a couple of years ago, all these Albatross films were. The prints were over in the U.S. from, I guess, France, and they just made the rounds. And I know I played for them at Bard, and at the uh, I think I played for a couple at the National Gallery and somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like with Duvivier, with the silent Duvivier films, um, it was because Josh programmed them at MoMA. They got shown. And did you um, improvise, so it, improvise those, or did you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, those those there's no screeners on at all. So. Right. <laughs> But what's what's great at, at MoMA, every film is shown twice. So this this okay. second show uh, not only went better, but it gave me a chance to email people or post online. Come see this. Uh, this is a great film. You you got to see this film. Um, so uh, yeah, it's really just a matter of, of the, the more obscure things. It's just a matter of of the demand for them, uh, whether I get to play for them or whether they get shown or not. And I'm, I'm sure you've done uh, some expressionism uh, uh, montage. Uh, uh, do you have any any genre, foreign genres that you really, when you're to get out of your comfort zone, that you really enjoy, that you kind of look forward to? Yeah, I think I think uh, Russian film. Some uh, the more Pudovskin I see, the more I like his work. You know, usually you just see Eisenstein. That's always gets sure. what gets shown. You Vertov. know, Strike, and yeah, and, and Zygavertov. And I've seen a few, uh, a number of, of Pudovskin films. Um, oddly enough, at a silent film festival in northern Norway, in Tromsø, Norway, that I play every year, because um, uh, a lot of their their live scoring is done by local bands, and those that kind of scoring kind of fits Russian film. And also, mm-hmm. um, Boris Barnett, I could see that, uh, and and his stuff is is really a lot of a lot of fun. And so, yeah, in German expressionism, um, uh, there's so much on. The more that that. Uh, Information is inferred and left for the audience to put together. The more that's the stuff I like. So, mm-hmm. um, Warning Shadows, the German Expressionist film. That, that's like when I do my unit on German, German Expressionism in my class at Wesleyan. That's the film I show. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So you skip uh, Lang, Murnau. Uh, well, you can't fit in everything. I have them. I have my students watch um, uh, Sunrise oh, after great, class, great. and and I, I and I also show first 20 25 minutes of Caligari because you have to you have to <laughs> um but the expressionist stuff I, I like that and I'm I'm a huge Dada fan I uh Unshan Andalou is one of my favorite silent comedies <laughs> yeah yeah I guess a, a, a surreal abstract comedy but I guess yeah, I guess it, it is uh yeah yeah lovely uh, you can't exactly score any of those like you would score a Chaplin <laughs> Not not really. Although I've I've tried um, I've played it for Andalusian Dog a couple times as if it were a comedy short, and it kind of works because it, it is it still has that really? setup and instead of setup punchline it's setup fish, uh, <laughs> kind of structure right. and and uh, it kind it kind of and I know Bunuel and Dal, uh, Dolly and all those guys sure. were huge fans of those. A lot of silent comedies are almost very surreal anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it kind of works. I could almost see uh, Man with a Movie Camera as with a sort of a, co- a comedy score. Um, yeah, just I, I it's never tried that. Yeah, it's uh, so zany. And now you, you couldn't do Caligari with uh, a comedy score. It's got a, that's very oh, oh no. very dark. Yeah, very yeah, definitely. So, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Oh, that's cool. It's uh, it's just interesting to hear about where you've kind of your interests have grown uh, too, Ben. I mean, I, I know you're busy playing quite a bit, so you know, curious to know where your interests lie uh, any other kind of film areas that you're hoping to branch out into whether it's you know your own watching or other uh, silent eras um uh as as far as viewing I, i'm always looking for uh something i haven't seen before and that's what that was mm-hmm. what was my fascination with uh marcel perez here's this guy who worked th- literally through the entirety of the silent film era and most of his films are missing 
Hmm. Um, but he's very funny and very inventive and a, and a talented director as well. He has a unique style. So discovering his work is always uh, uh, was, was a huge plus for me. And, um, and, and getting back into filmmaking and, and doing, making silent films, but mm-hmm. using what I know about undercranking and working with, um, you know, pr- pr- primarily uh, clowns, uh, clown performers who have that physicality, you know, mm-hmm. sort of built in um, mm-hmm. for that uh, authentic sort of look. Not not dressing people up in baggy pants and mustaches and driving around Model T cars, um, but um, to try to take that language and apply it to a contemporary setting. That's too bad. I was uh, gonna bring my clown outfit next time I was in New York and uh, <laughs> try to try to become a star, but no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, can I can I ask uh, what what films you have upcoming uh, that you're gonna score or or, or gig? Um, sure. I'm. Let's see if I can. Remember. Well, there's a there's a big Leo McCary retrospective at MoMA in the second half of July, the last two weeks of July. Nice. And mm. so I'll be playing for the comedy shorts programs there. The opening night. Uh, Vince Giordano and the Nighthawks are playing for the Battle of the Century and a couple of other shorts, and I'm playing for all the other programs. So that's something I have coming up. There's a monthly series that I do at the Cinema Arts Center out on Long Island. Uh, if you live on Long Island and you love classic film, uh, uh, definitely get your get yourself to Huntington. Um, we just did uh, Hitchcock's Blackmail the other night. It was a huge, oh, cool. huge hit, and we're doing... Um, uh, Steamboat Bill Jr. Uh, oh, in July, great. and there's the Silent Clowns film series, uh, which uh, Bruce Lawton and I started 20 years ago, and uh, Bruce has programmed a series uh, for July through November of sophisticated comedies, things like um, A Gentleman of Paris and Chicago, and uh, Open All Night with Raymond Griffith and Gail Henry and Viola Dana. So um, there's there's stuff like that. I'm sure there's more I can't think of right now. <laughs> I know I need to update my website, but that's some of the stuff off the top of my head that I can think of. And I'm also recording scores right now for Accidentally Preserved Volume 4, mm-hmm. which is going to be rare films that only uh, survive in 9.5 millimeter prints. Oh, neat. It's, uh, you, you wouldn't consider touring to the southeast, would you? Uh, <laughs> um, I, I don't know how much, how many uh, of our... I mean, we can't even get 400 blows here, so... Oh, yeah. I'm playing in South Korea in August, if that's what you mean. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. That's a bit of a that's, plane that's, ride. Yeah, that's... It's Far East, but I don't know about the southeast. It's, I'm South um, Carolina, South Korea, a little different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, this, the Library of Congress is in northern Virginia, but right. um, having gotten down... I've heard a lot of wonderful things about the bird the bird theater um in in virginia but i haven't gotten down that far okay yeah well if if you don't mind uh, can i spring one thing on you that i i uh, didn't tell you about uh okay i i mentioned movie silently fritzy our good friend oh, yeah. uh she just recently compiled uh her or listed her top five silent movie directors uh mm-hmm. of course that's a extremely ambitious undertaking i'm sure for if you were to come up with a top 50 it would probably take you uh weeks of agonizing um <laughs> yeah but I, I just thought i'd read hers and and just bounce it off of you to see if you th- can are on board uh, but mm-hmm. her number five sure. was chaplin mm-hmm. number four was king bidor mm-hmm Number three was Paul Lenny. Uh, number two was Lubitsch, Ernst Lubitsch. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Her, her number one was uh, DeMille, C- C- B- okay. uh, Cecil D- B. DeMille. So are, uh-huh. do those sound like uh, good choices to you? Uh, she, she makes good arguments for them, too, which I'm, I'm kind of not – I'm not going to read her post, but I'll put it in the show notes. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're all – yeah, they're definitely they're, – they're, they're all great. Um, I, I, I would, you know, add on I, – I definitely add on Buster Keaton – Right. And uh, I think, actually, you mentioned Cecil B. DeMille. His brother, William, is an excellent director, and his films don't get shown much. I've seen a number of them at uh, classic film conventions like the Cinesation, which isn't around anymore. Mm-hmm. And his, his filmmaking is wonderful. And he just, you know, he's, you know, he's not as well known, so his films don't get shown, but they're really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, of course. Yeah, those are great fight. Those choices are great. So if, if you... I, not to put you on the spot, but if you were to choose a favorite, uh, would it be Chaplin or would it be Keaton, maybe, or somebody? I uh, couldn't. Obscure? It's hard to pick. It's hard to pick one. I would say, mm-hmm. as far as comedy, I'd say Chaplin and Keaton. Uh, there are things about Keaton 
mm-hmm. that are very important and unique and very cinematic. And ch- without Chaplin, all comedians would still be throwing bricks at each other and shoving <laughs> uh, people into Echo Park Lake. <laughs> That's uh, right. He was, nice. uh, he, he, you know, this is something I talk about with my students, that there are these people who got into film who there is no such thing as film school, and they're inventing the medium as they're, as they're entering it. And Chaplin just seems to have, uh, every step of the way, an instinct of what else you could do uh, mm. with film, where else you could take comedy that wasn't just running around, kicking people in the behind, and mm. getting them soaking wet with with water pails. Um, yeah, and, you could do something and, like uh, like people running up in front of you at the bank. You know, that yes. you demonstrated in the undercranking as such a simple concept, but yeah, completely relatable uh, and and hilarious. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and just finding the blend between, uh, in you know, inserting drama into slapstick comedy. And yes, you can make a a film that's an hour or an hour and twenty minutes long and have it hold up and not wear out its welcome, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know some of the the the, the Senate features that sure. like like Tilly's punctured romance. It's 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 more of a challenge. He he just he seemed to innately know what else you could do with film. So I for me Keaton, it's not like Keaton or Chaplin, but right, I think right. the two of them that's are like very from, very important from directors. Favorite sons and daughters, I think. Uh, right, exactly. And then there are directors like like uh, you know uh, there's a big backlash against Griffith because uh, sure. of all the racist stuff. But mm. technically. Um, but he te- yeah, technically he you know he also like in ninth there are some of his biograph shorts like a, mm-hmm. a corner and weed which are just uh, are just amazing storytelling and, and visual storytelling and his development of of the film's uh, technique is very very important. Yeah, we um, saw we saw so, a short yeah. of his in film school. I forget what it was. Uh, we also saw a short of. Uh, of uh, Eisenstein's, which uh, mm. you don't you don't get to see those. You you just see Battleship, and that that's about it. Yeah. But, uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think Griffith deserves. Even if you don't agree, I, of course, a lot of people had uh, unpopular opinions by our standards uh, back then. But uh, yeah, I, I think Intolerance is is just a majestic work. Um, so. Oh yeah. Do you have any favorites, Mark? Uh for silent film directors in general sure, or sure, why not? yeah i i mean i haven't watched as many as i would like but yeah i I'd, I'd have to go with uh chaplin first um you know from the comedy aspect i mean he's the one i've seen the most and uh, i did like uh um was it vertov uh oh yeah seen that you know man with a movie camera was just eye-opening from the documentary format mm-hmm. uh, for me so yeah it's one i need to I think delve into more. I, I was thinking about it, um, you know, for, for you, Ben, I, I really appreciated uh, one of the things I know you focused on is the audience pres- preservation. That's uh, very important. You know, yeah. That, that aspect of, you know, keeping people, you know, coming back to, uh, to silent film. And I think about that, you know, I've got a, a couple of kids, 10 and 12, my daughter plays piano and I was just asking her tonight. So here's a j- potential job for you. You could, you know, play <laughs> piano for yeah. silent films. Of course, she's like, you know, at this point, no. Yeah. <laughs> she played I, on I her smartphone. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, I know you've talked about it, how, you know, you just got to get them there mm-hmm. um, and, you know, get the, get the butts in the seat. And, you know, we watched uh, the kid together and she was, mm-hmm. you know, pretty enthralled afterwards. She, you know, That's wouldn't admit that she liked it, but. Right. Of course. Yeah. It, it's the word silent is what turns everybody off mm-hmm. and i've actually started not using it in promotion i'll just say classic films of the 20s or classic <laughs> buster keaton film with live accompaniment i won't say silent it's not because, silent there's uh, a lot of yeah. <laughs> right but that word that's, turns, that's your, if your you job. don't yeah if you don't know it just sound, in my analogy is it's like saying hey let's go to a bar but it's in a library mm-hmm. you know and so you tell yep. people let's watch a silent movie they think they've got to hold their breath and like you said, if you you just get get got to get people in there, and that's why doing uh, school programs is very important to me. And I think anybody else who's oh good heavens, <laughs> dogcast, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, she thinks we're talking about a dog's life. Uh, <laughs> um, but school shows are really important, both for for me or any of my cohorts or any anybody out there. Um, it's very important to show these things to kids. If you ask a nine year old, "Do you want to go see a movie with no sound and no color?" <laughs> they'll run away. Mm-hmm. Right. And 
if they're in school and you bring them into an auditorium and show them one week with Buster Keaton, they'll get it it's instantly. Funny. Yeah. yeah. It's mm-hmm. absolutely funny, and, and to the same degree that this, the teachers will think, oh, I don't know if they're going to like this. You know, there's no color, and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And uh, the, the kids, to the same degree, kids just dive right in because they're probably more in touch with their imagination, I think, than adults are. You know, kids play with toys. You don't say, oh, that's a stick. No, it's an old, it's an old train that's running, your, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, yep. uh, so kids will just dive in, and... Uh, you know, you could preserve everything, but if nobody wants to go see it, what's the point? So it's very important to not only doing school shows, uh, but uh, I love doing shows way out of town in places where this doesn't happen. I'm doing mm-hmm. a show um, this Saturday. I mean, if this this podcast airs after June 25th, you missed it. But in a <laughs> church in, Ru- in Rupert, Vermont... Uh, Oh, good state. That's where I'm from. <laughs> ah, and in, in southern Vermont, and, and, you know, we're bringing in a projector, and I'm playing an old uh, SD pipe organ. The SD pipe organs oh, were neat. made in Vermont. And it's just, you know, to bring this somewhere where it just never gets to happen, um, because you just never know if there's some teenager or 20-year-old uh, who will click with this. Yeah. Uh, I've met mm-hmm. some younger people. There were two teenagers who were at Mostly Lost this year, and I've just gotten an email from a guy uh that's his name guy uh, actually who saw uh who bought the kid and saw the extra and, and wrote me a, a like i guess a fan letter and he's, i'm in my 20s and everybody rags on me because i like this stuff but you just never know if you're doing a show somewhere if s- that person who loves this stuff is going to click get to see it and cl- that's what clicks with them so mm-hmm. it's Im- sure. it's important to sh- and what that's why coming back to criteria and that's why it's great that there are these but really it's important for any kind of film especially something where there might be a stigma to people who aren't familiar with it that there is a quality package that just looking at the box Mm -hmm. tells you oh this looks like it's going to be really good and you open it and there's a booklet oh my goodness this is really good and you put it in and there's this wonderful score and the, the, the the transfer looks great and um, nobody's oh it's scratchy and I hear you know 12th Street rag and it's jumpy and and, and and you you need to impress people whether they know what it is or not even if they've never heard of Chaplin or Keaton and so it's important that outfits like Criterion as well as Kino Lorber and Flick sure. Rally yeah. and uh, smaller labels like Real Classic DVD and Grapevine and Undercrank uh, make the stuff available and like like you were saying mm-hmm. before we live in this time where if you discover silent film you can you can uh, between renting stuff and hulu and netflix and buying stuff on amazon you can you know lock yourself in your house for a month and just watch stuff constantly right yeah i think so much content in our we're in these film uh cinephile circles and and i i run into young people every day that uh you know, they'll see their first uh, Fritz Lang movie and, and they'll just be like, wow, that's, you know, this is, this was 1927. This is amazing. So yeah, I, th- I think that streaming helps too. I think the, the audience, the silent film's not going away. Yeah, no, there's, no. there's a guy, we did a series, um, Bruce Lawton programmed a series of uh, Mary Pickford films. We worked with the, uh, the Mary Pickford Foundation a, a couple summers ago and we ran four of her films and a guy came to our shows um, at the Silent Clowns and he said, he had found Mary Pickford because he was watching something else unrelated on YouTube and YouTube for whatever reason from the keywords or whatever recommended a Mary Pickford film on the side that sidebar and he clicked on it and watched it and now he became he's this huge Mary Pickford fan so YouTube yes there's a lot of garbage transfers (laughs) on there with terrible music and there's a lot of stuff that's illegally uploaded uh, but it's become what flipping through the dial used to be Mm mm-hmm where you would people used to find silent movies by accident, and so uh, between that and streaming, um, uh, I know is are, does Criterion have its own streaming channel, or do you stream on Fandor or they have, on Hulu? Uh, they 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 have a number of their films on Hulu. They're actually switching over to uh, a product called Filmstruck in November. Uh, that's, oh, okay. Uh, supposed to offer even more of their content. So it's I don't know if it's going to be the entire library, but pretty close to it. Yeah, they're pretty, yeah, I mean, that's, pretty prevalent, that's too. That's great. They, they even use Amazon uh, for, for silent film. You mentioned uh, Blackmail earlier. They have some early Hitchcock uh, silence. The Lodger, I know, is uh, on their Amazon channel. I don't think that's mm-hmm. on Hulu. But, uh, yeah, they 
they take advantage. And of course, they have Ozu, Naruse, uh, you know, a whole bunch of stuff streaming. So uh, Ozu and Naruse, I probably wouldn't recommend to the kids. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, right. But they're they're quality quality films, uh, and I think yeah, that's they're what, they're really yeah, they're great. And that and it's important that that the stuff is available on streaming. I haven't moved into that yet, but it, it's. Oh. It's probably on the horizon at some point. We'll start you with the Blu-ray player, then get you. Actually, okay. the yeah. there we go. it probably has streaming built in, so there you go. Yeah. You'll get both yeah. with, the, with the, the same purchase. Well, yeah. it's a thrill talking to you, Ben. I mean, I just think you're so full of knowledge, do so many great things, and fighting the good fight. I, I, I keep it up, and I'm, I'm a subscriber and a Kickstarter customer. Anything you do, I'm, I'm in. So. Well, Absolutely. thank you so much. Mm-hmm. That means a lot to me, and, uh, and I really appreciate you guys having me on the podcast. Yeah, it was a it was an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate the you know in, in your job too, Ben. Just learning more about you. Um, I think of you, and I always get a little hyperbolic, but you know, I, I think of you even as part of the filmmaking process now because you're you're yeah. reinterpreting and you're you're bringing mm-hmm. the film uh, to life. You know the what what you're playing. So it's a really kudos to to what you're the work you're doing. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, that's creating that's is uh, yeah. score yeah. is a huge huge part, and we don't have a lot of them anymore. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. What do you want? Where can uh, people find you on social media, Ben? Uh, I'm you mentioned sure. a lot of places. Yeah, I'm on on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Silent Film Music, and um, I have a Facebook page. Uh, so like my Facebook page. If you find, I have a regular page. If you send me a friend request, and we've never met. I don't know if I'm going to accept it, but if you like my, my, my regular page, you'll get the same information, the same updates, and we can still interact um, that way. And like like I mentioned before, if you go to silentfilmmusic.com and click on the email link, you can not only get on my email list uh, where, you, where you'll get insider information and, and news and stuff, but you'll get to see any, a rare co- a comedy short that's not available anywhere. And if I, I can... Get my act together. I'll I'll, I'll resume my my own uh, my own podcast. But oh, yeah, well, I, I'm not making any I'm not making any promises. Well, when you get it uh, up and running it regularly, uh, we'll we'll give you a plug and maybe steer you a few listeners. I think that probably a few listeners will uh, go listen to your back episodes. Too. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes as well. Oh, that's great! I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And I I know you can find. Uh, Undercrank Productions uh, online. The links right. there on your website, also on mm-hmm. Facebook. I think under Undercrank Productions is available. Yeah, so mm-hmm. definitely and check that it, out. It is a bona fide uh, DVD label. With, I, I yep. looked over it earlier. Uh, some great uh, titles. I, you know, I, I'm pretending here. I know a little bit about silent film, but I don't. Yeah, I, I know a fraction of what Ben knows. So uh, I think mm-hmm. uh, a lot, uh, a lot at our fingertips to, to explore. Oh, well, that's yeah. great. Thanks. Yeah. So thanks again, Ben, and uh, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, Aaron, where can folks find you online? I am at uh, AWest505 on Twitter, and I we sort of still have a blog. I, I just finally wrote my first blog post and since uh, November, uh, since Apu. Uh, I wrote it on uh, Fantastic Planet, which is almost nice. silent. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. 1973. I, great score. Eerie music. Yeah, yeah great uh, score. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I uh, haven't done that in a while, so I, I might... Uh, Try to do that every now and then. So, yeah. What about you, Mr. Mark? Excellent. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Mark Herney, H-U-R-N-E, Letterbox, the same place. And you can find Criterion Close-Up at Criterion C-U, CriterionCloseUp.com, Criterion Close-Up slash Facebook. Uh, definitely love interacting with folks and love interacting with Ben. Thanks again for coming on. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Criterion Close-Up. We'll talk to you soon.